You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Paradox, and we are... Good morning, Good morning. Great to be here with you. I'm thankful uh, for all of you. Thank you. Thankful that you are not sick, that you are here, although we're also thankful for the many people that are joining us online as well. Technology is awesome, right? You, can just, you, you don't even have to be here. You can still be here with, you, with us, so uh, we're thankful for that. We're week two of this Greater Than series, um, and in this series, we are going to be taking the weeks that lead up to Christmas, called Advent, and we're going to look at the different ways that people throughout the Christmas story actually worshipped Jesus. And last week, we started this out. We talked about Mary and said that worship is making Jesus greater than our circumstances. We can be thankful, we can praise him, no matter what's going on in our lives, because some of our most powerful worship actually comes from those moments where we feel most powerless to do anything about. And when we forget, when we feel afraid, or when we lose our focus, we can thank God. We issued a challenge last week. Hopefully you're doing it. If not, you can start this week to start and end your day with thankfulness for three things. Number one, who God is and what he's done. Number two, what is happening all around you, good or bad? And number three, what God has promised and what will happen. If that sounds confusing to you and you need explanation, you can always go back and watch that message online. Uh, Again, technology, it's a wonderful thing. This week, though, we're talking about making Jesus greater than our stuff. So I brought brought something with me, some of my stuff. Uh, And today, I've got my baseball cards, right? Baseball card album. How many of you guys have one of these bad boys at home? I've got many, a couple of you. The rest of you know what I'm about to say uh, (laughs) because they probably weren't worth keeping since 1988 when I started doing it. I started collecting baseball cards when I was a kid and it was fun for me, you know, and all I wanted to do though is like you collect these things, your heroes are on them and and I wanted to like play baseball with them, you know, like set them up in the different positions and and have them run around and everything. But I was never able to do that because, you know, I, I got some advice from people older and wiser than me that I should save these. I should hold on to these things. Why? Because someday, they'll be worth something, you know? Now, here we are, um, man, 40 years, 30 years later? 30 years later, wow. These things have been taking up space in my house. Space, I could, I could have rented it out, you know? <laughs> it's taking up space in my house. I've invested countless hours organizing these things. I've looked, I even had like these vain imaginations in my mind that someday... I'm going to pay for, like, college or my kids' weddings or something with my baseball cards. I'm going to pass them on or something like that. But it comes, come to find out, I've got a buddy named Josh, and he, he's really into sports cards. I mean, he trades them. He knows these things. And the other day, I was talking with him about these cards, and, uh, and he goes, oh, yeah, are they from, like, the late 80s and early 90s? And I was like, yeah, I've got so many of them. They're in great condition. And he just looks at me and goes, yeah, those are worthless. <laughs> Like, thanks, man. Way to shatter my dreams. More, you didn't just shatter my dreams of money. Like, you shattered my, my childhood memories. They're, you just told me that my 30 years of my life are ultimately worth a quarter, you know? Like, 
come on. I, and I did. I, like, I looked down the list, and every single one of these things, it's like a penny, a penny, a penny. I'm like, no, what? I'm, I'm glad someone finds joy in this. My penny. <laughs> you know? What I find out, though, is the investment isn't actually worth it. And we often do this. We spend our time, our talent, our treasure going after things that are less than worthy of them. There's something called the endowment effect, actually. And the principle behind this effect is that we end up feeling very attached to the things that we already own, more so even than things that we don't own. The more we put into something, the longer we hold on to it, the more those things actually become worth to us. That's the key. The more they become worth to us. And this causes problems because it can cause us to overvalue our stuff. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, Have you ever tried to sell a house? Or maybe you've tried to buy a house from someone that was overvaluing their house, right? You can be told, yeah, it's worth this much. And immediately, if you're the seller, what rises up and you're like, no, no, no. It's worth way more than that. It's worth way more than that. Why? Because you... At a very deep level, the house is worth more to you than the buyer because it's yours. Because you you are the one that have lived in it. You're the one that's painted it. You're the one that's repaired it. You've made memories in it. And you overvalue the house because you already have it. And here's the thing. The longer we hold on to stuff, the more valuable it becomes to us. And it's not just about the money, though. It's about this. There's something, it's, it's represents something, something greater to us, something more valuable to us. Holding on actually costs us more than we stand to gain, and that's why the subject of giving, when we start talking about money, it's like everybody, right? Like, oh gosh, here, here we go. And by the way, I, wanted, I just want to throw this out here today, okay? Um, we are a church that loves Jesus. Greg already said it. Um, we... We believe that God is a giver and not a taker. We believe that God is not after your money. This entire service, all right, is not designed for you to give money. God's not after that. We're not after that today. And especially if you're new, just checking out uh, Jesus and church and all this stuff, I want you to take a deep, just even take this moment, relax, breathe easy, okay? Because I want to invite you to not even participate in that today, all right? Sit back and relax. Allow this service to be our gift to you because God's not after your money. He's after your heart. God doesn't want you to be poor. God wants you to find everything you need in him. God doesn't want you to be working all week hard overtime for ultimately nothing, to live like a slave. No, God actually wants you to be free from slavery to money. That's what we're talking about today. That's why Jesus spent more time talking about money throughout the New Testament than anything else. More time than faith. More time than heaven and hell. Jesus talked about this. Why? Because he knew what it was attached to, what it represented in our hearts. It's about more than the money. We all know that money's not actually real. Now, before you start going like, oh man, he's crazy conspiracy theory. No, it's true. Like, money itself is not actually worth anything. It's about what it represents. It's about the time. It's about the stuff. It's about what you can do with this thing or what it can do for you. Money is worthless, but what's attached to it 
has far more meaning to us. Money represents something to every single one of us. Maybe for some of us, money represents time. Maybe for others, it's comfort or security. For some of us, we look at money and we see the ability to have pleasure. Or others, it's power. Some of us, money represents reputation or our identity or our own worth and value. Having those things, having money leads us to this thing that's much more valuable, that we actually want to hold on to, that's doing something in us. That's why so many of us hold on tightly when it comes to money, not because of the worth of that, but because of the worth of the other thing. Here's the truth that I want to explore together today. When we open up our treasures to God, God actually opens up his blessing to us. I'm going to say it again. When we open up our treasures to him, when we, instead of holding on and grabbing tightly, but we go, all right, God, I'm going to trust you with those things that I've been grabbing onto, God actually opens up his blessing to us. And we receive so much more than even what we were so afraid, so nervous, so full of anxiety to give. I want to take a look this week at, at these people called the wise men in the scripture. And we don't know a whole lot about them, but their story begins in Matthew chapter 1. Again, if you don't have a Bible with you today, uh, you can check this out on the YouVersion app, or maybe you've brought a Bible with you as well, uh, and you can follow along with the scriptures and the points. But starting in Matthew 1 today, it says this, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. For we saw his star and its rising and have come to worship him. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. There's that word again. That's what we're talking about this whole series, right? These wise men come from the east. They seek out a baby, a king, and they say, we've come to worship him. And many of us immediately go to songs and and hands raised and stuff, and that's not quite how they're going to do it. How do we worship? We worship with thankfulness and praise, yeah, but we also find in verse 11 how the wise men worshipped Jesus. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just to take a little bit of a deeper look at who these wise men were and what they were doing, there are people, uh, scholarly, powerful, influential, that are coming from the east, and they've attached somehow the meaning of this star that they have been watching for, waiting for, attached to an ancient prophecy that that, that, that we're not even quite aware of. But they're looking, and they visit a palace looking for the king of the Jews. Now, why? Why would they do that? Because they recognize that Jesus is a king. That's what they're looking for. They didn't go to a stable. They didn't go to a manger looking for just any old baby. They came looking for a king. And see, why this is important is is very few of us have an issue, a problem with generosity per se. All of us, I believe that every single one of us has generosity in our hearts. We want to, we love to give of our time and our talents and our treasures. That's inside of us. We're we're not stingy. We don't want to hold on. 
But the issue comes not when it's a matter of whether or not we give or are generous. The issue is really to who or to what will we give. The truth is we worship what we are willing to open up our treasures for. I'm going to let that sink in because that can be a hard truth. It can be a convicting truth if I really look at that in my own life. I worship what I am willing to open up my treasures for. Worship is making God greater than our stuff. True worship involves sacrifice. It costs us something. And when we put God first, it forces us to say no to other things. We all say no. Every single yes is attached to a no in your life. If you choose to do this, you're saying no to that. If you choose to give to this, you're saying no to giving to that. It forces us to make a choice and say no to other things and say, God, you are greater than whatever else is represented. The worship is in the cost. It's not even in the amount. The worship is in the cost, not the amount. And so we look at these wise men, and they they come from the east, and they open up their time, they open up their talents, and they open up their treasure. Again, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, other translations would say the far east, these are men that were willing to open up their time travel a great distance to find Jesus the King. How many times, though, do we say, like, oh, I'd love to, but I don't have the time? This is a simple truth, right? We all have the time. We all have the same amount of time. Who or what we're willing to give that time to is the real thing. And it's very, it'll show us a whole lot about what or who we worship what we're willing to give our time to, our talent. Matthew 2, verse 2. We saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. These are men that, again, they're scholars. They are searching. They're looking at the stars. I I can't tell you how many times people have had to point out the Big Dipper to me. Like, I look at the stars, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on up there. But these are guys that are very, very astute, knowledgeable about ancient prophecy and, and astrology even, and what's going on up there. And they use their talents, their passion, to actually look for and worship Jesus. Their talents lead him there, which is amazing. When we, we worship God, when we use our, open up our talents to him. And then the last one, Matthew 2, 11, they opened up their treasures. We worship God when we open up our time our talent, our treasure. And all of these things are the means. They're not the point, right? They are the means to the end, which is worship. It's the object of our giving that actually makes it worship. And the question that I have for all of us today is, is that object worth it? Is it worth it? Is the thing that you're seeking, is the thing that money represents in your life worth your worship? We already said that money represents something. So I want to take a look at every single one of these gifts, the three gifts that are given to Jesus by the wise men. Not saying that this was the intention. I have no idea what the intention was, all right? This is far less scholarly work than it is simply looking at things and admitting that money, gifts, can represent something else. So there's a song. It's it's an old song. You probably have heard it before. We Three Kings, 
all right? There's this line, and it's talking about these three kings, these three wise men. And one of the lines in the song uh, in which the Magi describe their gifts, the last verse includes a summary of this interpretation of these gifts. It says, glorious now behold him, arise, king and God and sacrifice. Everybody say king. king. God, God and sacrifice. There are three gifts. They represent three different things about who Jesus is. The first one is that he's a king. The wise men present their gold to their king. And gold is this something we all know, uh, that gold represents value. It's a recognition of a king. All throughout the scriptures, you'll see that the, like, things like the, the streets in heaven are lined with gold. There's the Ark of the covenant, covenant, which represented God's presence on earth, and there's gold on it. The throne rooms have gold. Uh, if you watch, grow up watching DuckTales, right? <laughs> you know there's gold. It's valuable. How many of you wanted to swim in a, in a pool of gold? Like, yeah, right? There's value attached to it. And so when they give gold to Jesus, it's representing something that is valuable. Why would we give that to a king? It's almost like paying taxes. There's an obedience part to it. There's an impact part to it. There's an expression of commitment and loyalty to that when we say, I'm going to give something valuable to my king. The second thing the wise men give, they give frankincense to their God. Frankincense is actually a a perfume. uh, And what it did was recognize that Jesus is deity. Now, many people, many kings throughout ancient times would would say that when they were the king, they actually were more than a mortar. They were a god. There's this ancient practice of that. So why would we give to a god if gold is about value frankincense, perfume, that is about our worship. We give our worship to God. We, we give out of a place of gratitude for provision. We give out of a place of saying that you are my comfort, you are my joy, you are my pleasure. We give our frankincense to our God. And the third one is myrrh. Myrrh was actually a substance that was, that was used as an anointing oil. It was recognizing Jesus' death, his sacrifice, on our behalf. Myrrh is actually what would be used 33 years in the future. When Jesus did die, myrrh was brought to anoint his body, to honor his sacrifice. And when we give out of a place, when we give our myrrh, it is this place of saying, we are growing personally. We, we, we want to have compassion on others for, for their sacrifice, and we are willing to sacrifice on our own because there's a place of freedom from that. So I want to go back over every single one of these and dive in just a little bit deeper. Because giving, when we give of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, we're actually recognizing that Jesus is greater than any one of those things that those those things will represent in our lives. So first, when we give gold to our king, we're saying, Jesus, you are more valuable than anything. When we give our gold, we're saying, Jesus, you're more valuable than anything. In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus actually speaks to the value part of giving when he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. I want to stop there, right? Because this is one of these verses that if, you're, if I'm honest, like something in me raises up and you're just like, now hold, wait a minute, God. I may not be perfect. I may have some struggles here. I might hold on to my money or something. But you want to tell me that I don't love you? I can't serve you and money? I can't what, have a job and love you too, go to church? Like that seems a little bit harsh. That seems a little bit extreme. But remember, we're talking about value here. And when we talk about you can't serve God and money, when we give, we're valuing God more than anything else in our life. Value and worth are not the same thing. Most of us think of those two things as synonymous, right? The value of something and the worth of something. But the value of something actually has more to do with the importance of something in your life than it does the actual worth. How many of us have something that's not worth anything but is very, very valuable to us, right? It's just, so we recognize that value and worth aren't the same thing, and we could say, Jesus, I recognize your value. I give you my gold because you are more valuable than anything. You're more important than anything. And when we view this through that lens, you can't serve God and money. What we're saying is not both of those things can be the most valuable thing in your life. Not most of those things, not both of those things can be the priority. Do you, know, do you know a funny thing about the word priority? There can only be one. It's in the definition of the word. Priority. The first in order. You, can only, like, you can't cheer for Michigan and Ohio State. At the end of the day, you value one of these two things more. You cannot serve both Jim Harbaugh and whoever the Ohio State guy is, right? You can't, you can't do both of these things. You're either going to love one and hate the other. You're either going to value one and not the other. One of them will be the most important in your life. Something, so the question here is, is Jesus your king? Is he the most valuable thing in your, in your life? Is he the most important thing? Is Jesus the priority? So remember, when we give what we value, we worship. And when we, when we make Jesus most valuable, that is an act of worship. It's the second thing. When we give our frankincense, our worship, we are saying, Jesus, you're more fulfilling than anything. Worship is actually about joy and fulfillment and pleasure. I know that many of us don't usually think that, but it's true. Listen to what Philippians 4, verse 10 to 20 says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Rejoiced. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. This is Paul speaking. He's writing to a church that has been partnering with him and taking care of him. Uh, he asked them if they would meet one of his needs through finances, and they did. So he writes this letter of thanks for them. And he says, I rejoiced in God greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You cared. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. Many of these things, when we have an opportunity to give, it's exactly that. It's an opportunity to show physically what is already in our hearts. Right? We, we do care. We do have compassion. 
We take joy in people or things or the church or a, or a cause or passion. But now when there's an opportunity to give, it's an opportunity for us to worship by showing our care, showing our concern. Paul goes on, he says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. See, there's this place that we can be, right? when our joy and our pleasure and our fulfillment is not in things that are temporary. Isn't that what Jesus just said? Don't store up treasures here on earth. Store up treasures in heaven, right? Find your contentment, your joy, your pleasure, your fulfillment, not in temporary things. Why? Paul is saying that if you find your contentment, your fulfillment in stuff, you won't be content and filled and fulfilled when you don't have it. Rather, Paul says, I, I've been hungry, I've been well-fed, I've been doing great, I've been doing not so great. People have met my needs, they haven't. And in all of these things, in all of these places, I have actually learned the secret of being content. How did he do that? His worship is Jesus. He hasn't, he's made Jesus greater than his circumstances, greater than his stuff, and in doing so, now he's not slave to those things. His, his mood, right? His faith, they're not tied to whether or not he has the stuff. He's able to say, no, I'm content. I'm fulfilled. I have what I need. Why? Because I have Jesus. I worship him, not those things. So take that stuff from me. I'm going to be okay. You cannot take Jesus from me. And he's the one that fulfills me. Well, what does that look like? How does he meet every need? Paul goes on. In verse 14, he says, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. He's not saying, you know, so never mind. I don't need anything. I'm good. He says, no, you did well to partner with me. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. That's, that's kind of what I just said, right? We as a church, like, not that I seek the gift. Believe it or not, like, I'm a pastor. We're a church as leadership, as a church. We want the, what Paul says, profit that is increasing to your account. We love you. We care for you. We want to see your life full of the fulfillment and contentment and joy of valuing Jesus first because we actually believe that he is a giver. God is the ultimate giver. He doesn't ask us to do things that he hasn't done already and perfectly and in far more abundance than we could ever do ourselves. God is the giver. We don't seek the gift. I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, right? This is the worship part. When we give, it's a fragrant offering, a frankincense, a perfume, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. There are other places, guys, where God says, I know you guys are going through the motions here. You've got your religion. You've got your church service. You've got your songs and everything. But let me tell you, it smells like crap. Seriously, look, it's in the Bible, all right? 
It is. It smells like crap. I'm plugging my nose at it. Why? Because when we just do things because, oh, oh, I have to, I think I'm supposed to, and when it becomes religious, when it becomes about good behavior, that's not what we're called to. We're called to a place of worship, which is us saying, I find my joy, my fulfillment, my pleasure, my contentment in you, and I know, God, that you are, number one, all I need, but number two, you will fulfill every need that I have. I love that, right? There's this place where we get to see this opportunity, where we get to see that God is the ultimate provider. He is the one that takes care of it, and we can only see it when we stop providing and trusting and saying, I am my ultimate provider. That's the only place that we get to see that God can actually be trusted, when we have to trust him, right? It's what Jason and Courtney saw, like, man, we, we took this crazy step of faith, and, and there God was with to the, dow- to the penny, exactly what we needed. Some of us, though, are stuck in this, 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 this cycle where we say, well, I can't give, I won't give, like, because I don't have enough. And that's not the way that giving works. It's not about the amount. Remember, it's about the posture, the worship, the, the cost to us. Giving is actually how God fulfills needs. That's what Paul is saying. His need is fulfilled. Why? Because other people gave. Giving is how God fulfills needs, but it's not just how he fulfills needs for other people. Giving is actually how God fulfills needs for you. This is crazy. This is upside down Jesus kingdom stuff, right? When we give, it is how God fulfills your need, my need, through the giving. We'd say, how does that work? That sounds insane. Yeah, it is. It's upside down. It's crazy. All right? Think about a seed. Think about the harvest, okay? I know, I, not any farmers in here? How about this? All right, one farmer. That's good. How about gardeners, all right? Any gardeners in here? A few more, okay? Think about the plant or the seed. In August, September, October, what would you like? A harvest, right? What do you have to do in April or May to get it? You have to sow the seed. You have to prepare. You have to, you have to give, and when you do, it plants a seed that in time, when it's needed, actually produces a fruit, a harvest, a crop that supplies and fulfills your need. In places like Haiti, actually, this, this is a very difficult thing to get into the value system of the culture and, and the people because when there's a poverty mindset, and I, and I mean, like, we, we think oh my gosh, I don't have anything. I can't afford to let anything go. I can't give of something. So when we, when we get it, there's this tendency in all of us to use it, to spend it, to, to, to make it do something now. And what the teaching part is in Haiti, and I think even for us, is, hey, if you take this fruit or this vegetable and you plant it instead, I know it will feel like right now you don't get to eat it, and you'll be hungry, but trust me, more is coming. Better is coming. Something longer lasting and more fulfilling is coming, but if you're going to receive it, you have to first be willing to give it away. That's the way that it works. Jesus fulfills our need, but he does it through giving. So the question is, is Jesus not only your king, do you do things out of obedience to say you are the most valuable and most important thing in my life, but is Jesus your God? 
Do you worship him? Do you find the most joy, the most fulfillment in him? Do you trust him to meet your needs above anyone and anything else? And that leads us to the third thing. Jesus, you are worthy. You are more worthy than anything. When we live this way, it's like Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46 says. Jesus says, living like this, a lifestyle of generosity, is one where we say, God, you are more worthy than anything. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. I like treasure. I would like some treasure. Buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys the field. Rewind. In his joy, he sells everything. When I, when I say, go and sell everything that you have, how many of you are just filled with joy? Yes, I would love to do that. I would love to have a massive garage sale where I get pennies on the dollar for everything, right? <laughs> go and sell everything that you have in your joy. Why, though? Why? This man does this because there's something more worthwhile that he's going to get, and he can only get it if he does that. When we give, when we sell everything, we say, you, God, I know that I, this is the only way I can get that and that. You are more worthy than anything else, anything that I already have. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Worth. That's the word of the day. When we have our volunteer huddle uh, it, before service, we, we all put our hand in and we said, worthy. Jesus is worthy. He's worth more. I, I often say that word to my daughter, Jenna. Before, we go, before she goes to bed, I'll go into her room and I'll hug her and I'll kiss her. And I look at her. I, I don't know why, honestly. It's just something I started saying to her. I'll look her in the eyes and I'll say, you're worth it. And the other day, I knew this day was coming. She goes, what does that mean? <laughs> that mean? And to be honest with you, this is like dad moment. I didn't actually know. So I had to like make something up. But I was so proud of myself because I made up a doozy right in the moment. <laughs> you know, I, I looked at her though and I said, Jenna, you're worth it. And what that means is that there is nothing I wouldn't do. There is no length I wouldn't go for you. You are the most important thing. You give me the most joy. You're the most precious. You are the most fulfilling thing I have. You are more worthy of my time, my talent, my treasure than just about anything else in my life. Jenna, you are worth it. And when we, when we worship God, when we give, we say to Jesus, you are worth it. Worth means that the reward is equal or greater to the cost of acquisition. And what Jesus says in the Bible is that getting God, knowing him, is worth selling it all for, is worth giving up anything else, pleasure, profit, comfort, reputation, identity, all of the things that money can do for us a little bit. Jesus says, trust, trust me, you've been holding on to that way too long. I love you. I value you. I want your freedom. I want your joy. And it's in me more than any of this other stuff. And if we actually believe that, if we actually worshipped God, I don't think that giving would be quite as hard for most of us. See, we, I don't want, as a pastor, as a church, and as I believe God doesn't, he's not about prying our fingers off of what's most important to us. 
He is about inviting us into something where we say, I see you. I love you. I want more of you. And in order to do that, I, I might have to open up my hands to let something go so that I can receive something even greater, something even more. I want to ask you, as the band comes up here today, what is your treasure? What is your treasure? Is it the comfort? Is it your time? Is it your reputation or identity? It, is it security? What is your treasure? Just take a few moments even. In these closing moments, before you start singing, before we move on, what is it that that thing that you are holding onto, that money represents, that time and talent and treasure represent? Worship costs us something. It's valuable. Worship means, mean, means making Jesus greater than that thing and knowing that he'll meet us in that. He provides in that. He's good in that. You can't serve God and money. The best way to trust God with your money is to give it away. And when we get free of that thing, we can actually freely worship and joyfully give. Just in these few moments, I, we, we did something intentional, right? You, several of you who are on top of it, you've been here before, you're holding up the orange buckets to me, and you're like, yeah, you forgot, you forgot. No, 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 I didn't forget, all right? We're going to take our offering last today as part of this moment. And we're doing it intentionally, right? Not to manipulate you into giving, no, but to give you an opportunity to respond in worship by giving because that's what it is. It's not this like kind of embarrassing thing that we have to do every week. We're, no, it's an opportunity for us to not just worship in song, but to worship with our entire lives by giving back something, a little bit, to one that actually deserves everything, everything we are, everything that we have. So some of you are, are, are saying like, oh, like, man, you told me I, I wasn't going to have to do this. You don't. You don't. I, again, I mean, if, if it's forced, it's not worship, right? You don't have to do this, especially if you're new. Like, man, we want you to see and know that God is a giver. So just please sit back, relax. Maybe some of you are saying, that, well, I, I've already set up. Like, I give online. First of all, thank you. Thankful, thank you for your faithful partnership in making Jesus more valuable than anything. I know that you have found that he's worth it. But this might be an opportunity not for you to physically give, but to sit there and think, God, how... What next step do you want me to take in this area? Because there's more. There's more for you. Maybe it is that you, know, you look at that and going, all right, well, I'm, I'm already giving of my, of my treasure, but for me, it's, it's time. It's time for me to go and grab one of those volunteer things or, or sign up for December 15th to spend some time with some kids that could use it. Maybe for you, it's, it's, your, it's your talents. Or maybe it is your treasure. As you look at this and go, you know what? I'm giving but I feel like God is, in, is inviting me to take another step. Maybe to not just come in here with whatever is in my pocket, but to say, I'm gonna set some aside every single week. Maybe you're just gonna start with a little bit, or maybe you're, you've been giving a little bit faithfully, and now's the time where God is saying, I wanna challenge you to take one, one more step. Make it cost a little bit, because remember, that's where the worship is. When we say, man, I can afford $10, and, you, and you, there's that voice in you that's, that, that's God saying, yeah, but what if you gave 12? Remember, I, I love how Greg said this before I even got up here. I, didn't, I almost didn't even have to, right? God does things through people who say yes. And it always is going to require faith. It's always going to be a little bit uncomfortable. There's always going to be a cost. Otherwise, it's not worship, right? So 
Remember, though, when God invites you into a greater level of worship for him, when you make him king, when you make him your God, and when you make him your sacrifice, knowing that he paid the whole price for you, that's what you are worth for him. You say, God, you're, you're worth it too. You are worthy of it all. He meets you in that. And he opens up his blessings to you when we open up our treasures to him. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.